Maybe you felt chills or goosebumps. Perhaps it's an overwhelmed feeling of something bigger than you or more complex. Whatever the feeling, God put the response in your soul as a reminder of His presence, power, and glory. It's called awe, and He wants to remind us of it every day in many ways. Join us as we discover how God has used His awe to inspire others to follow Him deeper in their lives. In Psalm 23, 4, David says, Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Now, David was a man who had a lot of dark valleys, and I know I've had mine, and I'm sure you have yours. He killed Uriah so that he could take his wife Bathsheba. He was pursued by Saul, the previous king, to be killed, as well as his son later in his life to be killed. And yet God tells us he's a man after God's own heart. Well, with all of us walking through different mounts and different types of dark valleys, how can we connect those valleys to God like David did? Today on our interview, we have Pastor Benjamin Wendell, who offers us a new perspective in his book, Good Catastrophe. According to the CDC right now, 44% of teens have persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness. And one in four adults from 18 to 24 have considered suicide. Pastor Wendell has deep insight into these groups as well as God's work in the Bible during our valleys. So, Pastor Wendell, welcome to In Awe by Bruce. Thanks for being on. It's my pleasure. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Great. And I know those listening will be. How did you reach this point in your life to focus here on this? It's a good question. My background is that of a local church pastor. And I think, you know, when you pastor people for long enough, I've pastored for over 20 years and I'm a pastor's kid. Oh, you walk through enough valleys, as you mentioned, and shadows with people, the complexities and challenges of life and sudden shocks and unexpected phone calls and diagnoses that nobody saw coming, that you recognize we we have to set a seat at the table mm. for the challenges of life and invite them into our conversation, our worldview, our theology. And that's not something that we're particularly good at. So I wanted to help provide people with a worldview and a framework of hope that was gritty enough to help them in what has become an incredibly complex moment in human history, marked by division, cultural upheaval, uncertainty, of what's happening all around us, changes in technology, crypto, AI. I mean, you name it, it feels like just about everything is shifting and changing right now. Yes. Not to mention just the range of personal challenges that we can all have in our own lives with mental health or fear, anxiety, relationship challenges at home. So my book, Good Catastrophe, is a blueprint to help people find their way through pain. Okay. Before I ask you about good catastrophe, what in your life amazes you about God that keeps your perspective straight? Or does that tie in with what you want to tell us? That's a a great question. 
um, what about my life helps me keep my perspective straight? Yeah. You know, I think when it comes to the area of hardship and pain and suffering, that's a question that many of us have to wrestle with. For me, I've had to revisit what I believe about God, mm -hmm. what I believe about the nature of God. And to be honest, that hasn't just been a straight journey. It hasn't been an easy journey. That hasn't been a one-day decision where everything about my belief in God was so robust and strong that I've never had doubts and never questioned. Mm -hmm. For example, I've wrestled with this. If God is all-powerful, Yes. And spoke the universe into being by the sheer power of his words. God is all powerful. God can do anything. Mm -hmm. He's mighty. He's strong. There's nothing that God can't do. And God is also all knowing. Yep. Hairs on your head are numbered. It's pretty easy in my situation. Made it <laughs> easier for God. <laughs> Mine too. He bottles every tear, He knows you by name. If those two things coexist in the person of God, God is all-powerful and God is all-knowing. God is strong enough to move barriers and mountains in my life, and he knows what they are because God knows everything. Mm -hmm. And why does God allow the pain and challenges and adversity in my life? I've wrestled with that. And I think yeah. anyone who's been through challenges, true challenges and storms in life, are confronted with those same questions. So I don't enter this conversation as an expert. Yeah. But as a pilgrim who asks and is asking the same questions of the human experience and the nature of God, of what I think most most people ask and process. Good. So, I mean, that's great because that gives you that empathy that you have, I think, for people, and that's what we all need. So let's go on now. Define for us good catastrophe. Well, that phrase, good catastrophe, is a very important phrase. And I spent a long time trying to find a word that captured the idea that Good comes from bad, and it ain't easy to find. It's not <laughs> easy to find. Yeah. Uh, I struggled to find find something in English that really kind of, yes, that, that captures the emotion of what I'm going for, that good comes from our pain. <sighs> but I stretched back in my study after combing dictionaries and various writings to the writing of J.R.R. Tolkien, and I came across a word that has become very special to me. And it's unique because Tolkien had to create the word <laughs> to describe what he saw as central to the story of life. Uh -huh. Now, firstly, we've got to ask this question. Just why is it so hard to find an English word yeah. that shows that good can come from pain? Furthers my overall thesis that in our world today, we fundamentally see adversity as the enemy to our happiness. Mm -hmm. And that's a notion that we need to correct. 
Tolkien created this word, U-catastrophe. It's spelt E-U, catastrophe, meaning it's a compound word, prefix E-U means good. So a good catastrophe. So I was drawn to this word. It's kind of a almost a confrontational word because often the words good and catastrophe are not put together. We feel right. like they're on opposing ends of the human experience. So there's a tension to that phrasing. What he meant by the word eucatastrophe, good catastrophe, and you'll see this in the writings of Tolkien and it's experienced in the movies that have been made from his books like Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, is that when things seemed like they were at their very worst, the lowest point, the yeah. darkest, there's no way for the central character to ever get out of the situation they're in. In his words, there was a sudden happy turn in the story which pierces you with a joy that brings tears. And when you go back and look at his work, you can see that. Like, oh, it felt like the darkness was so pervasive it had taken over. And yet here in that moment is this turn towards the good. What I found particularly interesting about this, studying his life, and I didn't see him reference this, but it's at least a link that I made in looking at the just the, the journey he navigated, Tolkien himself is a living good catastrophe because huh. on November 8, 1916, he was fighting in World War One. Mm -hmm. as a young man, really just a kid, with all of his closest school friends. And he contracted a terrible fever. Ugh. He thought he was going to die. I mean, you think about just the brutality. You're in the trenches of warfare. Yeah. People are dying all around you. He gets a fever that's so debilitating, it almost killed him. So they sent him back to England from the war. This is no mild fever. It was a catastrophe. It was terrible. But think about it. All of his friends died in yeah. that battle. And his life was saved. So through the lens of hindsight... It's a fair analysis to say that what felt like a catastrophe in the moment felt like a setback. The debilitating fever is the very thing that preserved his life. And without the fever, we would not have been graced by some of the most beloved literary works of the 20th century. Yes. It doesn't just happen in Tolkien's life. It happens in our life. And that's the whole idea of hope that when life hits its lowest points, there's a special gift that emerges in its most potent form. That's the kind of hope that interests me, that the point of our deepest pain is the start of our greatest good. You know, Benjamin, it, it strikes me that it's so similar to all the things in the Bible that seem like contraries. You must die to live. Who the first of you will be the last, you know, the servant of all versus the one who takes the head seat. All those a, a seed must fall on the ground and die before it comes alive. Just all that, and I, we were singing that song this weekend in church. Uh, I raise a hallelujah, and it just when you were talking, it just reminded me of that verse that out of the ashes hope will arise. Death is defeated. The king is alive. Hmm. 
Let's talk about the ashes, but but let me reference something first because yeah. you say it feels like a lot of scriptures. Yes. You know what's interesting? What's that? Our modern version of hope, if you've been around church for a long time. Yes. Feels something like this. This is at least the way it felt to me raised in the church. Follow Jesus, mm-hmm. believe in God, have enough hope and favor, blessing, miracles, breakthrough, harmony, all of these things are kind of, that's your future. That's the picture of what you get as a follower of Jesus, which is then deeply confusing when mud gets thrown on that postcard. And we're like, I thought I was promised this. Yes. And now I'm experiencing that. And a lot of people become disillusioned because within our theology, we haven't made room for the full human experience. Mm -hmm. Now, here's why I say that's interesting. In my assessment, particularly of the writings of the New Testament, it's simply not a collection of beliefs that is presented to us. Jesus told us, in this life, in this life, you will experience trouble. Yes. James chapter one says this, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. And then once you get into the writings of the Apostle Paul, he was brutally vulnerable Mm. about the challenges that he experienced, and he saw no incongruence between talking about, here's where my human experience has brought me to, beaten until death, shipwrecked, (laughs) imprisoned, abandoned by my friends and betrayed. Yeah, thorn in my flesh. He saw no incongruence between all of that and the most remarkable hope in God. So we need to revisit how we see hope. There's a better way of seeing it and a more biblical way of seeing it. Since uh, you've mentioned kind of the view of hope that is frequent in Christian circles, give us what you see as the definition of hope. I revisited the story of Job to reassess how we've come to know that story, because I think a lot of our theology comes out of our telling of the story of Job. Job was a man that was incredibly successful and prosperous, and the Bible record of this man's life was that in one day a perfect storm hit. Think of it. I mean, the man's at home one day, a man comes in and tells him, uh, your oxen and donkeys have been stolen by raiders and your staff have been murdered. Same day, different messenger. There's a fire that killed all of your sheep and your shepherds. Same day, third messenger. Thieves have stolen your camels. Okay, so your business and your staff and your team, everything is wiped out. Mm-hmm. Now, if that's me and I hear that, I'm like, Okay, I can I can rebuild oxen, donkeys, sheep, business, camels. I mean, it's tragic, but I can see a way through this. Tragically, a fourth messenger knocks on the door and informs Job, same day, same day, all of your children were killed in a freak storm. <laughs> it is a perfect storm that hits this man's life. And his health declines, boils break out over his body. His friends can't even recognize him. He is truly a broken 
man. Now, here's often how we then go on to tell the story of this man. And it's something along the lines of this. Job is a man who lost everything, had hope, and got even more than he lost. Ended up with 20 children, more cattle, more finances, more success. I have come to resist how we interpret this story. It strikes me as almost callous to consider that uh, story of victorious recovery. Why? Because I have three sons. You can't come to me and say, I've got a great deal to make. I want to trade your three sons for six others. Like what can ever replace the loss of a child? A newer child? This isn't like a flat screen TV. This isn't like an iPhone. To anyone that's experienced the loss of a loved one, and especially a child, that just rings hollow. So you might say, Ben, this sounds like a depressing little explanation (laughs) of this story. No, no. But if we don't address the reality of it, we'll never truly be impacted by the true message that his life has for us. Yes. Because he never got back what he lost. His children never came back to life this side of eternity. So he didn't recover what mattered most in his life. And that may be uncomfortable to see unresolved pain in the story because we don't like that. We're like, we want the neatly packaged, put the bow on it, finished, clean, polished presentation of the life of Job. And what I'm trying to show us is this. If the man never got back what he truly lost, it brings us to the heart of hope. Even in pain, despair, hope flourishes. And Job's story might feel a bit uglier than what we give it credit for. Think about this version of hope. His hope was so potent that even when he didn't get the outcome he wanted, hope enabled him to rebuild his family, his business, and his future. And his life echoes all these generations later as an inspiration to all of us. Now, here's what Job said. This is from like his darkest moment, Job 14. For there is hope for a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that its shoots will not cease, though it grows, its root grows old in the earth, and its stump die in the soil. Yet the scent of water, it will bud and put out branches like a young plant. Job makes this incredible prediction, and I think it's the masterpiece metaphor that he uses in in, in this book. And he says, my life was a tree that was flourishing. The roots spread wide and deep. The trunk extended like a tower in the sky. They were green. Life was good. I was happy. Things were were successful. And then life came along and brutally cut down that tree. Uh I lost everything. I was a tree that had been cut down, stripped bare, shadow of who I once was as a man. And all I was, for all intents and purposes, was a dead stump in the ground. Mm. And he makes a prediction at the scent of water. It will bud again. That right there is the power of hope. We need to decouple hope from outcomes. 
hope is not a guarantee that we have a postcard picture life. Mm-hmm. Hope exists when mud is thrown all over that picture of what you thought life would be. Hope is right there. It's there in the mess. It's there in the pain. It's there in the complexity. And it is so powerful that you don't need an ocean, a downpour of rain, a bucket, even a teaspoon. All you need is the scent of this thing called hope and newness and growth and flourishing can come into your life. Mm. Wow. That is beautiful. I, I like that. You wrote the book. Were you targeting certain people, everybody? I mean, that obviously it fits for everybody, but are you hoping to like help parents with kids or anybody who reads it just to move on? What, what was your goal? You know, my, my brother was going through cancer at the time, terrible cancer journey of writing the book. I, I thought of him often, thought of his complex journey in life and faith and raised in Christianity in the church and some of the questions he had about all of that. And combined with that, I'm pastoring people. So I'm thinking of the families that I lead. I'm thinking of Gen Z. Mm-hmm. research shows the number one reason they're deconverting from Christianity is not because our Instagram feeds are not cool enough or our church stage and production is not modern enough, but rather they don't know how to answer the question, why does God allow suffering to good people? Yeah. It's a very real question. And then I thought of the fact that I'm a father and I have three young sons. And I would love to be able to come to my sons as a father and say, guys, I've got something to tell you. I have figured out a way in your future to make you completely immune from challenges. You're not going to have to go through hardship. <laughs> I've, I, I've got a solution to that. But I can't as much as I love my kids, there's nothing that I can do to immunize them from the complexities of life. But I believe there is a version of hope that can offer us something even better. And for me as a father to be able to say to my sons, and that's this, it's not avoidance of pain and it's not immunity to challenges, but that there is a way that they can harness every hardship for their destiny. And if they could reframe how they see life's challenges, that pain and problems are not our enemies, but God can show up for you in life's hardest fights. Mm -hmm. And there is a God who can be there for you in the greatest challenges you walk through in your life. That became of much more interest to me when it came to raising my own kids. So it covers a wide audience But for me, I'm writing to anybody that needs to see the redemptive hand of God in every storm, imperfection, and crises right now. Amen. That is fabulous. I wanted to ask you if you could tell people more about your book and where to get it and everything. It's releasing April 18th. Is that correct? Yeah, April 18th. You can go to goodcatastrophe.com. Okay. And uh, it would be a great joy for me as, as a writer to have you experience the message of this book. 
And you can also go to my personal website, benjaminwindle.com, W-I-N-D-L-E. Okay, benjaminwindle.com. Yeah. Okay. Anything else you'd like people to hear before we go? Well, I would encourage people right now who are hearing this and saying, oh, my goodness, I've got some challenges and upheaval or uncertainty in my life. Just know this. I studied all of Scripture to see what did God do when the odds were most stacked against people Mm. and what I found truly remarkable is that God showing up when we're going through the biggest storms of our life is not a side hustle for God. It's not a weekend basement hobby. It is his primary way of functioning. So if you feel like the odds are against you, just know God wants to reach into your deepest challenge and turn it towards his greatest good. And with God, our storyline always curves towards a redemptive purpose. Benjamin, that is beautifully said. And I, and I love what you have. I think it's on your website uh, where you say hope is having the ability to coax a masterpiece out of a damaged instrument. So thank you for sharing all this. People listening, this would be a great book to get for all of us. There's so much going on out there. and We all need this kind of hope, not one that makes us question things more and be more frustrated with Christianity with a false hope. This is this is really true hope and, and giving guidance and directions. Sound right? Sounds right. So yeah, love you to pick up a copy. All right. Well, thank you very much for spending this time with us, Benjamin. God bless you and uh, everybody be praying for his book and the effect. Thank you so much. It's been a real joy to talk with you. Okay. Goodbye. <laughs>